0: aware of it, we are, my name's, my name's Robert by the way, I'm one of the pastors here and it's my privilege to join the rest of the, the team as we go through this new book called James. We're three weeks in and the, the title of this series that we're doing in James is called Bonafide Faith, Genuine Faith and today um, we're going to be looking at the end of chapter one. I wonder if you could turn me down a little bit. Just a little bit, bruv, because you know when I get ready to raise my voice a little bit. Um, today's message is called, When Bonafide Faith, it's not tested, what am I doing? It's supposed to be obedient, right? So, wait a minute. It's got, oh, I see, I've got the wrong, anyway, the, the message, there we go. So today's message, I'll open the wrong keynote. Today's message in our series, Bonafide Faith, is, When Bonafide Faith is Obedient. When bona fide faith is obedient, and you can see I've got a little strap line underneath, underneath there. When bona fide faith transforms our responses, how many of you want your responses to life and challenges transformed? I've got, I got both hands up. You know what I mean? Um, so, James chapter 1, verse 19 through to 27. And trust me, you're really going to need to have your Bible open and looking at it because I definitely will lose you. You know what I'm saying? Because if, if I'm not careful, I'm going to lose myself. So, you know what I'm saying? Please have James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27 open up before you so that you can keep track with me, right? And I'm going to be reading from the ESV in a moment. Um, I'll put all the other associated verses up for you, I hope. Here's a question <clears throat> Given that we are sinners, how do we respond to trials? Given that we are sinners, How do we respond to trials? Now it seems like we've asked this question every week for the past three weeks um, as we've been looking at James chapter 1. The first week, the answer to the question was, we tend to respond without joy, remember? I'm not happy when I go through trials, although he says we're supposed to count, count them all joy, right? The second week, last week with Richard, the answer was, I want to get out of my trial as soon as possible and not remain steadfast under it. This week, I suspect that the answer to the question is going to be similar but different. How do we respond to trials? The answer would be, we tend to respond in anger and self-centeredness. Well, at least I'm going to argue that this text will prove we respond to trials in this fashion with anger and self-centeredness. I'll put it up there. (laughs) Let's see if you agree by the time we get to the end, right? So are you there with me in James chapter 1? Okay, reading from verse 19 to the end. Know this. Sound familiar? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Shall we pray? Father, our hearts are filthy like sewage. And we're grateful, Lord, that you have power. And like a purification plant, Lord, you can cleanse us. You can change us. Father, would you show us that today, I pray, from your word in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So we've seen that bona fide faith is tested. We've seen that bona fide faith is steadfast last week today we'll hopefully see that bona fide or genuine faith is obedient and it will transform our responses. It will work in such a way that will transform the way that we respond and it will take longer in some than others. Me, I'm a hard-headed brother. and very often a hard-hearted brother. And I'm saying, but regardless of how long it will take, if God started to work, he will change you if you have bona fide faith. As we heard repeatedly, James is writing to Christian believers, or at least professing Christian believers, right? And if you think back to Acts chapter 2, like in terms of who he's writing to, because this is a this is like two millennia old, right? This 2,000 years old, when James was writing, the group that he's writing to is possibly, do you remember when Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2? How many people got saved? 3,000 got, sa- got saved that day, right? A little bit later, um, another set of 1,000 got saved. Three, those 3,000, it says in the text, they were from all over the world. And they were Jews. And, and they were converted, not all of them, but some of them were converted to the tune of 3,000. And at that time, mostly the people that are getting converted were Jews. Like now, mostly the people that are get, getting converted are who? Gentiles. But the Jews that he was writing to now have all gone back to where they were from. You know what I'm saying? And and possibly, this is a this is part of the group that he's writing this letter to. You know what I'm saying? So they're believers, they're, they're, they're Christians, or at least professing Christians, and he refers to them as beloved brothers, right? And the word's brethren says beloved brothers and sisters, amen? And again, he mentions something that they should know, and because, if you like, we are believers, right? It's something that we, it's something that you and I also should know. Verse 19, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let some people <clears throat> be quick to hear. Is that what he says? He says, let all the ladies be quick to hear. Or really, should say all the men, because um, the man, them, they got problems with hearing it, apparently. I don't know. Hey, hey. I've got to pick on me, innit? What can I do? My wife will bang me up later if I don't. Um, no, she wouldn't. No, she wouldn't. She ain't strong enough. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. Boy, (laughs) marriage, (laughs) marriage. Helen said this marriage matters next week. No no pillar talk tonight. (laughs) Where was I? It doesn't say men or women. It doesn't say black people or white people. Thank you, my brother Bertram. Help me, bro. Help me. I need help today, Carl. We've got to keep it moving, right? Should have finished by now, but... (laughs) Praise the Lord. Sunday's the Lord's Day, isn't it? Come out to enjoy the Lord and enjoy one another, right? Amen. Okay. He says, let every person... Right? That means it excludes no one. So you want to run out the door. You know what I'm saying? You can't get away from this particular point. He says, let every person... Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to what? Slow to get angry. Hmm. Verse 24 the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. He says, Know this. Now, some of us do know this, but we constantly forget, right? Or some of us actually don't know. But you can't say that after today. This used to be a favorite verse of mine for newly married couples. And <laughs> you know I'm saying, going back to the theme of married matters. <clears throat> and um, I've used it a number of times, I admit, you know what I'm saying? But how many of you know, this isn't just for married couples. It's great advice for married couples, but it's not just for married couples. And it would heal a lot of marriages. This is save a whole heap of marriages, you know what I'm saying? But this is actually for everyone, isn't it? This is actually the best advice for anyone who's facing a trial. Getting back to the context. This is actually the best advice for anyone who is facing a trial. And that's probably why we use it in marriage counseling. Because we know, hey, we had about five weddings this year. And I'm saying we know the honeymoon period will come to a a, a quote-unquote end. In one sense, you know what I'm saying? And then you realize, like, rah. And it's not even, oh, my gosh, this person, like, who are they? Really, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty and you're honest, you end up saying in your marriage, like, who am I? Like, who am I? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Because you begin to see that you're not the person, apart from your spouse, you're not the person that you think that you might be. But again, this is true for everyone. And we looked at the money test in verse 9 and 10. That is the test of if you lack money, how many of you know that's a test? But if you have a holy of money, how many of you know that's a test? <laughs> we talked about, well, Rich talked about the temptation test, if you like, verse 13. The fact that a person is temp- tested, even tempted, and what do they end up doing? They end up blaming God. Did you notice it when you done it? And the person ends up wrongly accusing God. You hear them say in the text, God is the one that's tempting me to sin. Really? Now that sounds like an, possibly an unbeliever speaking like that, angry at God. You know what I'm saying? The reason I'm going through this and the reason why things are the way is because it's just God's fault. Right? But no, this test is especially true for those that believe in God. Otherwise, why would James write it? You know what I'm saying? And particularly... With reference to those who are brethren, those who are fellow believers in Christ. No, this is actually for, for those that believe in God. And, and and if you like, when someone finds themselves in a difficult situation and, hope, and, and and I suspect, you know, at some point in time we all you know, many of us have experienced this, you find that what what do you do? You wanna blame someone, right? for the drama, for the issues, and we'll blame our work colleagues or we'll blame family members. You know what I'm saying? Kids will blame parents. It's your fault. Parents will blame their children. We'll blame our neighbors. And as we just said a moment ago, married couples will blame their spouse. You're not married, you blame your partner. Then they say, <clears throat> you know what? Actually, when I really think about this, you're not even in control. Let me not give you that power over me. Who's in control? You know, God's the one that's in control. So fundamentally, it's his fault. Have you ever heard that one before? See, now people won't articulate it in that <laughs> in that fashion, with that, with such clarity and diction. You know what I mean? But when I <clears throat> this way of thinking, and, and, and it's funny because This way of thinking, it started all the way back in the garden, remember? In Genesis 3, Eve is in in trouble. She blames the serpent, right? And (laughs) the serpent ain't got no one to blame, right? Adam, he gets in trouble and he blames Eve. And then who does he blame? He turns around and he blames God. When we have our backs against the wall, we tend to do the same. And it's the opposite of that which is outlined here. See, we tend to be slow to hear Quick to speak and quick to what? To get angry. And often it's not just those around us that feel the wrath of our indignation. Guess who else becomes a target for our temper? The Lord does. Listen to Proverbs 19 verse 3. It says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, notice whose fault it is. (laughs) His heart rages against the Lord. Sometimes you may not see it, right? It's there, but you may not see it. Why? As the verse says, it's going on where? In the heart. So what really is going on is much deeper, isn't it? And often you don't get to see what's going on because the person often doesn't even end up sticking around because they decide to separate themselves from the problem as they see it and that's why partners end up leaving. Like, Brangelina. Like, who's to blame? Is it Brad Pitt or is it Angelina Jolie? I don't know. I know from a distance which one I don't like. <laughs> you know what I mean? I ain't going to say which one it is. You know what I mean? But I'm a big Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt fan. What can I say? <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, you know, some things just, just don't need to be said. But, like, why are they splitting up? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do partners leave their partners? Why do husbands leave their wives? Why do wives leave their husbands? Because they say, I don't want to deal with this no more. To the point where I'm willing to draw a permanent line in the sand. You know what I'm saying? And, And in that same fashion, if you think about it, think it through. Ultimately, people want to separate themselves, right? And it happens in church, doesn't it? Because when a person gets to a point where they've had enough in their mind, then you know what? I'm a bounce. I've had enough. I'm leaving this church. And you know what Proverbs 18, verse 1 says about that? It says, A man or woman who isolates themselves, that's the person that separates themselves, you see whose desire they're seeking. They seek their own desire and they rage against all wise judgment. This is the person that isolates themselves. How many of you know God never made us to live in isolation? No man or woman is an island, they say, right? And it's hard to function together, but it's actually healthy. And you know what? It's funny because the very next verse look, look at the very next verse of Proverbs 18. It says, A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his, his own heart. See, the exact opposite of what the Proverbs would recommend, the exact opposite of what James's wisdom, God's wisdom, which is from above, what do they, they want to do the opposite to that? Slow to hear. They wanna be qu- they, we want to be quick to speak. I have to put myself in the category because I'm just as bad. And we want to be quick to get angry. Can you see the contrast? Now, how do, how, 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 do we, how do we tend to respond to trials? I said it a minute ago. Anger and self-centeredness. Two go together. Watch. <clears throat> now, the problem with this is, this anger and self-centeredness, this does not produce the righteousness that God requires, right? See, this is the product of something that's unrighteous. This is, the, this is not the product of godly religion, as we're going to hear in a moment. You know how James describes this behavior? This not wanting to listen to anybody. And my, per, my perspective is the right one. And if you don't listen to me, then I'm about to get like green up in here, right? Listen to, what, listen to how James describes that. He says this is filthy and it's wicked. Please repeat after me. This is filthy and it's wicked. Hey. That's a bit of self diagnosis for us right there. Now, if I said it to you, maybe you'd take it one way, but you just said it right about yourself. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Ray Comfort. That's what Ray Comfort does all the time. He's a genius. This is filthy and wicked. That is to blame others and particularly God for our bad situation I mean people in Jamaica could be doing that right people who are in difficult challenging circumstances could be doing that and just like we read in Proverbs 19 verse 3 often it's our own folly that brings us to ruin come on now but God forbid that we would blame ourselves see like uh, when it comes to marriage counseling, you know, you can't joke with it because, like, wait a minute. When you got married, who, who, who twisted your arm and, 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 and forced you up the aisle? Who frog-marched you up the aisle? Nobody never done that to you. You went up there by your own choice and volition. hello? And now you want to chat about, oh, I've had enough of this. I don't like this, and this person is not responding in the way that I want them to. Sorry? I thought, Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was... In sickness and in health. It was for richer or poorer, poorer. It was for better or worse, until death. <laughs> do you and you want to tell me that what you want to come out your marriage? <laughs> That's why we do marriage counselling because we can always take people back to their own confession. Like I was there, like literally sometimes standing there in front of you marrying you. Hey. See, but God forbid that we would blame ourselves. It's always, it's always the other person's fault, and sometimes we want to even blame God. <clears throat> I mentioned this a few weeks back as one of the reasons, possibly, why people walk away from the faith. I mean, people walk away from, you know, I'm saying, friendships, people walk away from churches, people walk away from marriages, does it, does it, is it strange that people then also walk away from God? Walk away from the faith? At this bloom, I'm, I'm I, I, like this, I, I, you know, it's like, Lord, help me. It's like, I it, I may come across like, hey, I've known this for years. Like, like, don't you lo- know this? <laughs> I'm learning this stuff myself. Like, over the past few weeks, looking at I'm like, have I ever read this book before? I'm like, Lord, this is this is, this is mind-blowing. Well, that, that, that's my testimony. You gave your testimony. That's, that's partly my testimony as I, as I read this. You know what I'm saying? Could it be that this is one of the reasons, literally, why people walk away from the faith? Because, but you see, but, but wisdom from God's word, notice, <clears throat> people walk away, right, from the faith. Help me, just, just, I'm, I'm. Um, what's the word? Humor me, right? Just, just say walk away. People, people walk away, right? When the wisdom that comes from above says put away. It doesn't say walk away. It says put away. Look at verse 21. Remember, I was going to ask you to help me by looking at your Bible, right? Verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Imagine a Christian who is supposed to be clean and undefiled, yet one who acts in a way that is filthy and outwardly expresses rampant wickedness. I'm not sure about you, but I find this like I, said, I find this very convicting. You know what I'm saying? Like Richard said last week, James is very hard hitting. And and I, and I realize that I'm am filthy and I'm and I'm wicked sometimes in my actions. And and his language here, I feel like I feel, I feel like I feel like I feel like James has got me on the floor with his knee in my chest. I'm like, because bona fide faith or true religion or the righteousness that God requires is being quick to hear. It's being slow to speak. It's it's being slow to get angry. Now it doesn't mean that all you do is listen. You've got got to speak sometimes, And it doesn't mean that you never speak, right? And it doesn't mean that you never get angry. How many of you know there's a place for anger? That's why some people read the Bible very casually and say, oh, it's full of contradictions. Sorry? It doesn't mean that you never get angry. You see, James will come back to this hearing and speaking business in a moment. Can you begin to see how bona fide faith transforms your responses? Well, how does it happen? I just spent the last 10 minutes beating you up, right? Like Cassius Clay, right? Here, now, here comes the grace. Because if, if I leave you in that state of being pummeled, that's not going to help you. It's not going to help me. That doesn't help anyone. Here comes the grace. How does bona fide faith transform my responses when everyone, I look at myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, Pastor Rob, yeah, I'm just like you. Wicked and filthy. Oh my gosh. How does bona fide faith transform my responses? See, do I try harder? Is it about positive thinking, positive confession? You hear that stuff even in church? No. Bona fide faith or true religion or the righteousness that God requires isn't something that you can produce yourself. And we see that in verse 20. It's the product of something outside of you, something outside of me, that actually Produces what we desire. It's by the product of our supernatural seed. Say supernatural seed. (laughs) Supernatural seed. Verse 21. Look at it with me. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness what? The supernatural seed. The implanted word. Which is able to save your souls. It's both how and what. See, what is the beginning of the process? Receiving. It's not really doing anything as much as it's receiving something. Receiving, you see, you don't have it until you get it by receiving it. That's the how. And the what is what? It's that supernatural seed that I just mentioned. What are you gonna receive? Uh, you guys are looking at me blank. <laughs> you see, it's the implanted word, that supernatural seed. You remember Jack and the beanstalk? Maybe this will help me to wake up a little bit. I don't know. Jack and the beanstalk. Jack sold his cow for a handful of beans, a handful of seeds, right? You'd be like, Jack, you're an idiot. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Jack? That's what his mum said, right? <laughs> And it brought him a little bit of drama, right? <laughs> it brought a little drama in his, into his life in the shape of a giant. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Having private jokes up here. <clears throat> but how many of you know those seeds changed his life? Them seeds and, no, and at the end of it, no one was saying, no, oh, Jack, you're an idiot. What's wrong with you, Jack? Good. I'm saying like, whoa, Rod, like Jack, whoa. <clears throat> Have you ever been in a situation where someone has kind of looked at you and said, you're such an idiot. What, reading the Bible? <laughs> What's that going to do? Sound like Jack's mum, right? But your testimony is, you know what? Actually, the Bible, it changed my life changed my life. 25 years later, 26, 27, 27 years I think this year I've been a Christian. You know what I mean? And trust me, I say it all the time, right? You can quote me. I am not the man that I ought to be. I'm not. I flop, I make mistakes on a constant basis. Lord, I know I need Jesus to be my savior, to rescue me. You know, I'm not the man that I ought to be, but thank the Lord, I'm not the man that I used to be. And hopefully that's your testimony. You know what I mean? And this implanted word, this supernatural seed, has changed my life. And hopefully the same is true for you. Flame says, <laughs> "You said the word of God to change your life. If you keep the text in this context, you know. Remember that. You some of you don't know that you. I don't find that nothing. Yeah. Classic. Classic. The word of God will change your life. You see, the implanted word or this supernatural seed like Jack's beans. It will change your life. Now, why do I call it that? Because, because it produces. The text says salvation of the soul. That sounds that, that sounds, <laughs> sounds like supernatural seed to me. Listen to the agricultural terms again. Pro- Produce, 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 if you like. Maybe that's a play on words. Verse 20. Rampant outgrowth of wickedness. Now, that is the, that's the same verse translated and amplified. Rampant outgrowth of wickedness and the implanted word. Can you hear the agriculturalness? And it was last week we heard. Um, James used similar terminology in a negative sense, if you remember, speaking about how sin, about sin and how it grows, right? It grows from what? It grows from a seed, he said last week. You know what I'm saying? James chapter 1, to quote the verse, verse 14. Verse 14? Who? Is Is that right? No, I didn't put it up. Oh, what a shame. Oh, did I? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I <laughs> don't know what I'm doing up here. <laughs> Literally. Um, verse 14, James, it says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. See, remember? It, mostly it's our own fault why we end up in a drama. Then desire when it is what? Con- na- conceived. Yo, it takes seeds to conceive. If, you got, if you're married and you've got babies, you know what I'm talking about. If you're single, don't think about them things yet. Yeah. <laughs> that's not your portion right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, but when then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Someone said, you know, if you plant that seed, brace yourself. This used to be the the worst news I could. I I could. This is my BC days before I was a Christian. I'm saying, like the the last thing I ever wanted to hear was them two words, "I'm pregnant." Oh my gosh, (laughs) fear to finish me. It finished me a few times when it got close to that point and. You know what I'm saying? As, as, as I confess my sinfulness back in the day. You know what I mean? But you know what? You sow that seed, guess what? You're gonna get in nine months. See? And 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 and, and he likens it to sin when it's fully grown. You see that you see this, this thing about sowing and the growth and development. When it's fully grown, it brings forth what? Death. See, here in our passage, it brings forth, here in our passage, he's saying. Don't plant the seed of your own carnal desire because it produces a harvest of death. But, in contrast, receive with meekness. With what? Meekness. The implanted word, the supernatural seed, which will do what? It's the parable of the, the, the sower. and it will save your soul, that seed. Yo, you need that seed, yo. Now this, doesn't mean, now, this doesn't mean justification or the new birth, this saving of the soul. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you need to get saved. Oh, what do I need to do? Just pray and receive Jesus and, oh, now I'm saved. This is not what this is talking about. Although God's word does do that. Like last week, verse 18, so I got confused. I'm looking at the wrong screen. Of his own, of his own will, speaking of God, he brought us forth by the word, how? By the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If any man or woman be in Christ, they're what? They're a new creature. They're a new creation. Birthed by the word of God. You know and I'm saying so. It, it, it's, it's a, the word of God does do that. But the word of God does a lot of things. You know what I'm saying. And and he in First Peter one verse twenty three he, he says since you have been born again, that's the beginning part, getting saved, right? Not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. See, in contrast, our text isn't talking about our initial, this, what we just said here, this is not what it's talking about. But although the word does do that, is my point. In contrast, our text, it's not talking about justification. It's talking about the second part of the salvation process, which is what? Whoa, amen. It's such an encouragement when as a pastor, as a teacher, you know what I'm saying? You you know that people understand, you know what I'm saying, the gospel. They're they're getting a grasp on the Bible. Because how many of you know the Bible can be a a tricky book to understand? Sanctification. This is the second part of the salvation process. The process, this is the part through which we're changed. This is the part. Now, you're saved. That is, you're justified. You know what I'm saying? You're going to heaven. But Hey. What, going to heaven like that? <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There needs to be some kind of transfer, some progressive transformation more into the image of Christ. First Corinthians 15 illustrates this so beautifully. It says, now I would remind you, brother, but the Bible, the Bible writers are always having to remind us, right? I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and you were saved, right? Now in which you stand, and by which you are what? Being saved. Hey, see, that's, the gospel is not just for people who don't know Christ. The gospel is for those of us that know Christ, <laughs> and if you know Christ, you know you need the gospel on a daily basis. You know what I mean, otherwise, you'd ne- sometimes you'd not get out of bed. I know that's true for me, I'm saying, why, well, which you are being, if you hold fast, oh, to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain, that is. That's quite a challenge there, isn't it? And that's the big question for the recipients of James's letter, and also for every one of us here today. We have heard the gospel, we've heard the word preached to us. See, the question is, are we being saved? Not are you you know, trusting in Jesus so you're going to heaven when you don't know? Are you being sanctified? Are you being changed? Uh, have you got the same foul mouth that you had before you got saved? Still carrying on with the same way that you used to carry on. Don't want no one to tell you nothing because you know everything. That's why you're quick to talk and slow to hear. You know what I'm saying? And anybody wants to, ch- wants to challenge you, wants to challenge me, I see this every day. I saw this this morning in my own heart. I'm preparing to tell you not to do what I did <laughs> this morning. <clears throat> see, are we being changed? Have we genuinely been born again? And as a result, see, have we had that seed planted? Because you know, if the seed is planted, hey, you can do all that you want to try and um, prevent that from coming up, but it's coming up it's like them 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 creepers, you know them things, and you you, tr- you try to stop them one way, they go another around another way, and they climb around the door frame and be like them weeds, if you've got a garden, huh? I see Pastor he's shaking his head around the about there boy, <laughs> them weeds, boy, i've got to try and cut the, cut the grass in it honey before winter sets in <laughs> oh. and I'm saying is see and if you've been genuinely born again, <clears throat> see, as a result, we ought to be, by definition, you know what I'm saying, progressively changing and growing, you know what I'm saying? It's that supernatural seed. <clears throat> is it growing, is it, is it transforming our responses? Is it? Or are we just the same as we were before we were converted? Are you, and, and this is the point, are you self-deluded? Are you, are you deceiving yourself into thinking that you're saved and you're not? Well, if there hasn't been any change, you've got to ask that question, innit? Rah. Maybe verse 22 is a reason why. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. <laughs> it's one thing when somebody else deceives you, but it's a next thing. Imagine, the, did it, the, I think it is Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort said, the deceived don't know they're deceived. Imagine if you're deceiving yourself. You don't even know it. Yo, yo. Listen. He says, rem, like, remember, this is written to professing Christians. It's in the first century, right? But it's also to us in the 21st century. See, and, the, and the danger is what we tend to do is we, 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 we hear this and we think, oh, yeah, I know that person. That person that look, thinks that they're saved and they ain't really saved. That, that person who looks like they say they're not saved. That's what we do because our heart is filthy and it's wicked, right? Professing Christians, that is people who are sitting in church every week, but there's a problem. Some church attenders think that just listening, this is the deception. Some church attenders think that just listening to the word of God is enough. Well, I come to church. You know I mean, sometimes we'll witness the people in the, in the office. I say, you know, why, why don't you come to church? People are like, no, 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 I'm not really, really interested in that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Where have you been all my life? The mic. Can you guys still hear me? And we we'll say that to people. You know, you need to come to church. And, and the question is, like, like for what? What, to sit down like you and just listen and don't do nothing with what you hear? Robert. Because it's just as true for, for you on that side of the pew, it's, it's just the same, as, it's just as true for me, this side of the pew, as it is for you, that side of the pew. I, fo- I, f- I hope we make a habit of doing that, not pointing the finger, you know what I'm saying? Because when you point the finger, there's X amount of fingers pointing back at you, right? See, to think that just listening is enough is self-deluding, it's self-deceiving. You see, it's, uh, have you ever heard this? A person will sit and soak and sour. These are the things that James says we need to know. Notice, as the seed is implanted, it works from the inside out, right? You see that? But this process also works from the outside in. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, notice he goes back to this hearing business. He's going to talk about the tongue in a moment. If anyone is a hearer of the word, verse 23, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. I wonder if he should have used a woman as the example here. I don't know. You can debate that. We, maybe we talk about that Thursday night. He's like a person who looks intently at their face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But wait a minute. It said, verse 23, they looked intently. And they forget what they look like. Verse 25, but... In contrast, the one who looks into the perfect law, that is the law of liberty, and perseveres. Here's that word again. Remember, James is writing a letter, you know what I'm saying? So he probably sat down and wrote this in one sitting. Much of what he's going to say relates to stuff that he says before. We can't deal with the whole letter in one sitting in church, but we have to help We have to understand as we're reading it that this is one letter. Hence, him referring back to what he said earlier shouldn't be surprising. He talks about perseverance. He says, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Again, this came up last week with Richard. Do you want to be blessed? Well, it's not going to happen unless you persevere. You need to, and, and it's persevering in acting, you know what I'm saying, on what you're hearing. It's doing, you know what I'm saying, as a response to what we're hearing, right? Can you see, can you see this working from the outside now in? This ain't the seed in us working from the inside out. This is now working from the outside in. And the illustrator, you guys know that I'd like to do a little bit of photography. Um, some of you are like, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, Pastor Rob, we know that you like to do a little bit of photography. The only problem is we can't see none of the pictures, right? right. It's, yes, it's all right. See, the Lord's good. He provided a photographer last night. Hopefully, next week you'll see the pictures from the event. <laughs> Who knows? The Lord answers prayer. I like to do a bit of photography, and I've, and, and I've only photographed a few weddings, right? But one of the things I've noticed is if someone's getting ready for their wedding, you know what I'm saying? Whether it's not just the... I mean, the, like women... Like, girls, you do a good job of always looking, looking good. Hey, what can I say? You know what I mean? But, it's, but, but the, the fellas, even when they don't, on their wedding day, it's a different issue. Man's looking sharp on his wedding day, trying to look, hey. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and I'm there taking pictures, isn't it? So I see this. And um, <laughs> how many of you know, for the bride and the groom, looking in the mirror is essential and it's purposeful. It's not casual. Mirrors, like I got, we got in our house, we got mirror in the, in the bathroom, we got mirror in the, like our, our whole wardrobe is, is mirrors, and, um, <sighs> Lord, mirrors, and not only have we got mirrors in kind of the, some of the rooms in the house, when you come downstairs in my house, if you've been to my house, as you're going out the door, guess what, this is, it's about, I don't know, Is that the radius? What's this? Across. Like a TV, it's, it's about 50, it's about 50 inch mirror on the wall. And so literally, as you're bopping out the house, you can just you can just double, you can, you can do a, you can just double take, just do double, you can double check and you can triple check, right? As you're coming out. And um, and really the truth of the matter is if you see an obvious problem when you look in the mirror, right, you respond to it. You don't leave it, but you attend to it, and you do so immediately. True. I probably didn't have to say all of that because he pr- pretty much said it. You know and I'm saying in his illustration. And the thing is, with Bible teaching, you try to use different illustrations to make your point. But if, if, the, if the if the if the if the if the if the the writer is is giving you an illustration, you know and I'm saying you write it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a good example by James because it's so ridiculous. The person, imagine the person is absent minded, you know what I'm saying? How are you going to forget you're looking at yourself? You deal with it right away, don't you? It stands to reason, surely. I may as well not own a mirror. If I'm not going to respond to what I see as needing attention, see the point? What happens when you see your flaws in the mirror of God's word? God's word shows us a clear depiction of what we are really like. I think that's why sometimes like, we struggle to read the Bible. Can't we? Not? Every time we crack it, oh my gosh, it's like looking in the mirror. And, and I, look a me- I always look a mess, it seems. So it's, it's easy just to leave it on the shelf. Leave it like tutus, especially the day and age which we, we live in. There's me. I thought, you know, I'm going to bring my Bible. I'm going to read text. Where's my glasses? Yeah, I'm going to bring my glasses. You know what I mean? Two twos left my Bible. Could left left it. I couldn't find it. Like, where's your paper Bible? Does anybody have one anymore? You know, Mikey P. All right then. All right then. Hey, hey. My <coughs> <laughs> 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 phone's not working. <laughs> What, did you draw for one from out uh, of the, the Bible bookshop, the, 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 the church bookshop? It's all right. Since I, would, I was going to do the same thing today. What can I say? You see, and the thing is, look, the Bible shows us our filthy flaws, doesn't it? Because it's a mirror, right? And um, you know, have you ever heard they used to say, dirty Bible, clean Christian? Clean Bible, dirty Christian. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? Because if you've got your Bible and you're reading it a lot, you're marking it up because you're always in it. Two twos, like Nehemiah. Turn to Nehemiah. And my mind's like, where's Nehemiah? In the context, you know. Like, and they get to Nehemiah they, they and the, the page won't even se- separate. They never, never opened that part of the Bible before. The pages are stuck together and the gold the gold is still sealing them pages. <laughs> the new generation don't understand that kind of talk because all they got is, is apps. You know what I mean? But... Some of you know what I'm talking about. And it's beautiful because, you know, the Word actually, the Word does so much. And I'm saying it's like a seed, as I said earlier, it's so much more. Um, the Word washes. Did you know that? The Ephesians talks about the washing of the water of the Word. First John nine says, if we confess our sins, then God does what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And wickedness and filthiness. Hey, this should be an encouragement. And I'm saying this afternoon or this evening, even. What's the time? Oh my gosh. It's like smelling your armpit, isn't it? I'm going, and not having a shower straight away. It's madness. So the question is do you stink this afternoon? Praise the Lord, you know what to do, isn't it? Amen. Don't leave today without having a shower. But the serious question is, will you do it? Or are you just a hearer and not someone who's willing to do what the word says? And you know, in this we see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. God works in us, this is the implanted word working out, right? God works <laughs> God works in us, but we have to work it out right? by responding to the word, Philippians 2. One is actually the natural outworking of the other. If God is working in you, you will work it out. By God's grace. Now there's I gotta finish in it. There's often misunderstanding. It's your fault, you know, brother. Man chatting back, can I do one extra song, you know? When Pastor E said, Oh, he's I thought he's gonna do a song. When Pastor he said, let's do two songs. Man said, boy. That shows you must feel at home. My brother, you feel at home. You're welcome. Yeah, man, you're welcome, bro. But look, you have to make me have to hurry now. Look. There's often misunderstanding about verse 25. Um, This whole thing about the perfect law or the law that brings liberty, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? But you see, this law is another synonym for the word of God. God's law or God's word is perfect. God's law or God's word, it brings liberty. Some see the law, the commandments or God's word as something that binds and restricts. Oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. Hmm. Not realizing that God's law, God's word, actually provides freedom. See, just ask Adam and Eve. Do you think they were freer before or after they ate the fruit? The problems arise when we want to sit in judgment of God's law, God's word, instead of sitting under it. James will tackle this more extensively in chapter 4, but just to make my point, John 8 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, steadfastness, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And guess what? The truth, it won't bind you. The truth eventually will say, it's a process, but the truth eventually, if you stick with it, will set you free. As we said earlier in verse 21, we need to receive this truth with meekness. And when we do it, we will be blessed, he says. Okay, now we'll come to our final section of the text. And James goes back to further apply this principle of hearing and doing in the light of the mirror illustration. Remember earlier he said, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Listen as he goes back to this issue of the tongue speaking, right? And what true righteousness or true religion looks like and the indicators of hypocrisy, which isn't a genuine reflection of faith that is bona fide. Verse 26. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, listen. Listen to the contrast. Verse 26 that I just read is that which is a misrepresentation of the righteousness that God requires, a misrepresentation of true religion. But now, listen to verse 27, which is a good representation of true religion, the religion that God accepts. One is filthy and wicked, the other is pure and undefiled. Verse 27, the pure and undefiled part. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now how does this link together with all that we've been discussing as I try to wrap this up? Remember my question earlier was, how do we respond to to trials. Do you remember what I said? Say, none of you ain't paying attention. It's all right. I just enjoy myself up here. It's all right. (laughs) It's all good. I said, this is how we respond sometimes to our trials in anger and self-centeredness, right? Now watch, self-centeredness because we tend to be slow to listen. Who's number one at that point? It's me, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't care about anybody else's opinion. I'm quick to speak. Why? Because my point of view is primary. And I'm quick to get angry because my self-centered perspective isn't being appreciated. Can you see that? So what is the cure? The cure, James says, is to put others before yourself. Husbands, wives, wives. Children, parents, put others before yourself. How does verse 27 describe orphans and widows? And if you want to go home, you're going to have to answer because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Amen. Afflicted. Verse 27 describes orphans and widows as those in affliction. Real affliction. If you're a widow, you've lost your husband. If you're an orphan, you have no, you have no parents. Now that's, you know what, that's peak in, in, in 2016. Can you imagine what that must have been like then? There ain't no social security, if that's what, what, the, is that what they still call it. There's no dole, there's, there's no help. There's no healthcare system. These people are in real trouble. They're in real affliction. Can you see that? And instead of being consumed with my own trials and being angry because of my circumstances and self-centered and self-consumed, think about others. Put others before yourself. And Jesus is our great example, isn't he? Philippians 2. Jesus, he didn't... Was Jesus thinking about himself? when he was hanging on the cross, naked? No, he wasn't. He was thinking about others. You see, and we're talk, this is talking about receiving with meekness. Is there anyone that's more meek than Jesus? He's our great example, isn't he? Think about others. Put others before yourself. But the only, <laughs> but the only way you'll be able to do this because we don't do this normally and naturally. The only way you do it is by receiving God's word with meekness, which, like a seed, will progressively transform your responses, leading to behavior that is pure and, 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 and undefiled and unstained with reference to conduct, which is very unlike what is typically seen in this world Amen. Amen. join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.